0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's Madeline with Embrace the Madness. Um yeah, that's my singing voice. I sometimes use it and you just heard it. <laughs> so, I hope you're doing okay today. I just had like this big like download about this episode that I wanted to do and so I'm super excited to share it with you. Okay, I'm running unscripted right now, so if you're just now tuning in, I just talk about our life on planet Earth and how we can emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually handle it, and today is no different than the other. If you got a chance to listen to my last episode, I talked about some self-care that I had been working on, making sure that I did, reaping, wait, reaping not reaping the benefits. (laughs) I was not reaping the benefits of not having self-care in place, but yeah, dealing with the side effects of not putting it in place. And so I just shared a couple of my tips and I think it's really important, especially right now, just with emotions everywhere and people everywhere and everything everywhere. It reminds me of like that rain, 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 I don't know what even I'm talking about. Anyways. So with everything that's going on, I started because people would be like, okay, uh, what you have to look at the origins of the police department and look at why they're really created. And that's something that I was like, hmm, yeah, I've never really thought about it. I just never I in my head, I just like a police department always existed. And so I was curious, and I remember reading a little bit about how the kind of Southern department had developed from slave patrols. And this was where enslaved populations had to, you know, keep this order and be on their best behavior and not break any rules. Otherwise, they were going to have people who would come Hurt them, punish them, do all these things just because they were enslaved and they couldn't even say anything about it. And I just remember thinking, like, whoa, like our police system today has a history that goes th- from there. I need to read about this, and so I came across a couple of really good articles by some people, I'm going to get to that in a second, where they had kind of done a detailed history. And it was great. It seemed very objective. And these are both scholarly sources. But yeah, I'll reference those in a second. But then really just like, I think what made me think about the importance of talking about it in this podcast was one, I think, in a world where we are not supposed to question authority, like, yeah, I think it's important that we all kind of understand the history of this organization that is currently hurting BIPOC communities and we are taught not to question authority and that's something that we don't question and I think I just started questioning and just realizing like, holy shit, like there's this whole idea of not questioning the people in power and authority and basically like those people taking away our freedoms. And the fact that we can't question the system that has no checks and balances, as we're seeing today, nobody has been held accountable and We've just been taught that that's okay and that's normal and that's we just can't question it. So, anyways, it's just it's a lot. um, But I'm really excited. But anyways, (laughs) I started thinking about how these conditioned authority figures, or we're conditioned to believe that we need to respect authority and we need to make sure we're on our best behavior and make sure we don't break any rules and all these things. And I feel like, especially for myself, I end up, I think it's like this idea called self-policing. And I think it's almost just like an overextended self-regulation to the point where it, it could be potentially harmful. And I feel like I have a tendency like that and I've been working on it, but just to really be mean to myself and... Overregulate, like, oh well, you don't need to be having these feelings, or these make you bad, or this blah blah blah, and it's like totally restricting any freedom or autonomy that I have. And so, I just thought that was interesting, based on what we are conditioned to believe about police and authority, and how we kind of need to question those own ideals of being, you know, hyper vigilant. Of ourselves and of others, too. I think I think self-policing is actually in the dictionary. Uh, let me check to make sure I don't butcher it. OK, it says act or action of supervising the activities of po- or policies of one's own group in order to prevent or detect and address violations of rules and regulations without outside enforcement. So basically, like, yeah, I'm going to make sure I police you guys since we don't have anyone here to do it. And it's just, it's just really interesting. And I feel like it can happen in really extreme cases and it's just creating harm, unnecessary harm. And I feel like it's such an interesting parallel for where we are today and kind of witnessing this extreme part that's creating harm and... I saw this quote online and it says the wonderful paradox seems to be and definitely has been for me that the less you police yourself the more you you seem to become. I think that's really powerful and I think it really just comes from really it is just this idea of authority and feeling like we have to hold up these morals which we'll get into later but I'm just like. Who decided what these were and who decided what is good and what is bad behavior? Who? And I don't think that's something that we often ask. At least I haven't until recently. We just don't, we don't think about it. But but I think we have to think about it and we're seeing it manifest, you know, in our world today. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. The relevance of the police department, the whole kind of evolution of how it became—it's going to be uh, a little bit of historical research based So, pretty cool, pretty cool that way. And I'll I'll link you uh, the papers too because they're super good and they're super in depth. And I think it's really important to consider. I think one's written by a white professor. I think EKU, Eastern Kentucky. And then there's another review. It's actually a minority review. They reviewed um, these two previous, I think they were working in the police department, but they were very big advocates for reform. So they had written an article kind of critiquing policing and, and its roots in America. And with their minority perspective, they kind of point out a lot of omissions that the original article had made and how it was kind of from a the lens of a white male and so obviously you wouldn't get the perspective of minorities that way and it's kind of like you can't really this is one of those things that you have to look at objectively and you you have to take off that like kind of whitewash lens in order to look at the whole thing and i remember reading to I think someone came out with an article like, oh, you can't just associate all the police activity with uh, racist foundations. And I think that's valid and I think that's fair. And I mean, I think it is important to look at the history and when it very began, like it was a way to keep order and a way to keep, I mean, essentially control the people in power needed needed a way to make sure that they weren't bothered and make sure that people that were being either a nuisance or a threat to the whole, to the benefit of the whole, and I say benefit of the whole in quotation marks because that's another time when you need to say, well, who is deciding what the benefit of the whole is? Is it the whole? Is it the president? Is it so-and-so, like, that's an important key to remember throughout this whole entire thing. So, yeah, thinking of it from the beginning. And I get that and I respect that, but I think the more you get kind of a wider perspective, it kind of starts making sense. And it's just interesting. And the thing is, you seriously have to keep in mind the whole time, like, Who's making the rules? Who do they even have the authority and the expertise to make the rules? And then who, since there's been this force and organization created, who are they protecting? Who are they saying they're protecting? And then who are they actually protecting? So throughout this whole episode, just keep that in mind. Just who are they protecting and why are they protecting them? I could hear the train coming and so I was like, oh no, but I was trying to record these meditations the other day. And I mean, I think it's one thing if my podcast has like a little choo-choo in it, but like if you're trying to meditate and like you hear a train, I feel like that would be so distracting. So anyways, um, I don't know if the train's coming, but if it does, welcome choo-choo. And I also want to kind of preface this episode with This isn't meant to – this is supposed to be objective. And I think a lot of people are quick to say, well, don't bring politics into this or don't choose a side or anything like that. And I think that's valid. I also think that our entire lives is politics, and some people don't have the privilege of saying that. And so I think it's important to talk about, and I think – I mean – If I believe that we reincarnated, if our souls chose to reincarnate at this point in the universe, then obviously I feel like there's some reason. And yeah, I think this is important. I think this is important to human life and the future of our country and the future of fucking society and civilization. And so I think it's really important that we talk about it. So without further ado... Here's a history lesson from Madeline. And also keep in mind, like, I don't know, just looking back and thinking, oh my God, all the history stuff, just, it's just crazy thinking about what they don't put in textbooks and the perspective from which they're writing these textbooks. So I really enjoyed reading about all these things and I'm really excited to share it with you. And if you have any questions, I'm going to link the papers in the description. And yeah, I can even send you the links or the files if you want to do that. So starting with the history of policing, I think the first question is, of course, there's the train. <laughs> why why were police created? You know, they're talking about defund the police, and people are like, well, what are we gonna do without them? And I think Well, first of all, we have these grand assumptions of what the police are supposed to do, and I don't think we think about looking through their job description and being like, okay, this is what he's responsible for, blah, 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 blah. So thinking about why they were created in the first place, I mean, we're building society, we're trying to make sure, like, okay, if we want to all live together, we need to make sure things are orderly and like we respect each other and stuff like that. And so that's great. But it's a, important to consider who is making these calls and who's deciding what order means. And it, that's just, it's that's really, really, really crucial to understanding. And so I think it's really important to know in the beginning that white males were the people in power that were making these decisions. And everyone else, women, BIPOC, immigrants were considered second-class citizens if they were even given any citizenship or rights at all, which they weren't for a long time. And so the very first conception of why there would be a need for police is coming from a white male's perspective. And that's very important to consider. And That's just an objective fact, and you can't argue with that. You also need to look at who they're protecting. Yeah, they're going to say that they are protecting everyone. This is for the benefit of the whole. We're looking out for the community. We're preventing crime. We're warning. The initial police organizations were created to warn of impending danger, and this is like back in the 1600s when we had just come over here. It was volunteer-based. Oh, I was talking about who they were protecting. So essentially, they're protecting the wealthy people, the landowners, and who, who had even the right to own wealth back then. It was only white males. So that's really important to remember. Who's making the rules and who's protecting them or who's getting protected? So the beginning organizations were volunteer-based. They didn't really have any system where they could have people on a payroll. And um, this is still really like very early government too. And so, I mean, these people weren't really motivated for, you know, the benefit of all. Like they're not – like a lot of them drank on the job and a lot of them were just being goofballs. A lot of them didn't want to get drafted. And so – that's really important to think about, too. so, yeah, they as their cities got bigger and stuff, they were creating more municipal, local forces so they they could keep warning of impending danger and eliminating crime disorder, whatever that meant. However, it's important to look at the difference between how things were conceived in the north and conceived in the south. And when we look at the kind of context of things that way, it's important to note that the South was full of wealthy landowners, and the earliest conceptions of the police force in the South was slave patrols, and they had a few guidelines from which they operate, and those are to Chase down, apprehend, and return them to their owners. If they were trying to run away or escape, they could be arrested. To provide a form of organized terror to deter slave revolt. So literally trying to create a threatening force so that black people would be scared to, you know, revolt and also to maintain a form of discipline for slave workers who were subject to summary justice outside the law if they violated any plantation rules. So, as you can see, like it's literally just an organization and a force to keep this minority population under control. And you also have to think about it too. They had they had a lot of wealth White people had a lot of wealth that they wanted to protect and so they were really invested in these patrols and organizations that, you know, they could be like, okay, well, no one's going to take my money or do anything today so I can sleep again. And this meant that they would invest more money into the police budget and (laughs) – When I learned about that, I just started thinking about Memphis and other cities, too, with these outrageous budgets for their police department. And it's like, what are you spending all this money on? That's that's a valid question. So what's really fucked is these patrols had permission to go into any of these people's houses and... They could take their stuff. They could hurt them. Like how unchecked that system was that they could just go in there and do it just because of their skin color and the way that they were not even considered citizens. So to me, it's already like, okay, well, (laughs) we're not starting off on a good foot. Is this this is in like the 16 and 1700s? So it doesn't sound very good from the get-go and so you know as we are growing we're populating our country where cities are getting bigger and naturally there's going to be more motion more energy more people and more quote disorder public disorder so as you know these populations were increasing and cities were growing bigger. There were calls for the abolition of slavery. And of course, they were met with verbal and physical abuse. And the people that were in charge of dealing with this were the police. And so already very soon into the history of the police department, this is going to the 1800s, there are these tensions of race and there were riots in New York, Boston, Philly. It was basically where you know these people in power wanted to control their cities and wanted to keep the peace, keep the order so that they could keep doing their thing and they wouldn't have to worry about these people. And I think that's an also an important part that you have to come to is these people in power wanting to create public order is defined by these people who are making the money and with the companies and these people with economic and political influence. And so this began this relationship with the people who were creating order, you know, the people with power. And the institution that is put in place to manage this disorder. And they were beginning to put it on instead of protecting the whole and preventing conditions that would occur that would create crime and poverty that the focus becomes on preventing these bad individuals and these criminals. And so it's really interesting to think about how the narrative of what the police is doing and what its roles and responsibilities are. It It's interesting just how it shifts. It's like a little bit each time. So even after the Civil War ended, the Emancipation Proclamation, there were still laws put in place in the South that perpetuated segregation and perpetuated the abuse of BIPOC and minorities at the hands of law enforcement. And it's interesting to realize that, so you've got the Black Codes and the Jim Crow laws, and basically the Black Codes were put into place to give these rules, these guidelines for how black communities should live and should act unless they want to get in trouble and get punished and go back to being enslaved. It was basically just an extension, basically, of slave patrol, and they're just calling it, you know, a different name. And the Jim Crow laws were... You couldn't look at white people. You couldn't touch them. You couldn't shake hands with white males. You couldn't do this. And basically limiting all of these freedoms. Actually, I'm just going to read some. Hold on. So they had this system where they had rules and like, you know, a Jim Crow etiquette that show, like that tells black people how they should live. Basically like out of the comfort of white people so these are a couple of the rules that were in the jim crow guide never assert or even intimate that a white person's lying never impute dishonorable intentions to a white person never suggest that a white person is from an inferior class never lay claim to or overly demonstrate superior knowledge or intelligence never curse a white person never laugh derisively at a white person never comment upon the appearance of a white female. So really just these laws that, I mean, even though slavery was illegal, air quotes again, there were still things put in place to limit them on their rules and their right to live. And so it's necessary to remember the relationship that the police have in this whole thing and the police are responsible for enforcing these because these are essentially law at this point and they're law enforcement and so there continues to be this racial undertone with policing and how it's enforced in communities and so this was like late 1800s so it's really not that far back when you think about it. And there's a lot that I think I've realized too is just how this system has kept doing it even as like close as 50 years, 50, 60 years ago. And I think that's just something that the system is so good at pretending like it's not a problem and pretending like it's nothing to worry about. So, as we go through a little bit past that, like in the 1900s, the black community wanted to leave the South and they wanted to escape this oppression. And so they started moving to communities in the North and the West. And so the police department who is in charge of enforcing the law while or enforcing order these populations are becoming more and more black. And so you want to say that the police department isn't isn't about that. Well, they got together and they're like, okay, well, we're going to have to change the way we do things. It's also another thing to keep in mind, too, that the police were protecting the white neighborhoods. And so minority communities were not being given these same equal benefits of protection and safety and stuff like that. So as we've kind of learned that the police were created to protect the wealthy, it's also important to recognize the early relationships that political leaders were building with uh The police departments. And so usually the person in power was responsible for appointing the police ward. And so this quickly became corrupt and they were buying them and they would say, hey, this is where my wealth is and I need to protect it. And so I need you as a police to go out there and enforce and make sure that This particular part of my wealth, it's safe. And so, this idea of preventing crime became a thing instead of this idea of, you know, dealing with it as it comes. Now, they were wanting to prevent it, to just, you know, preserve order, to keep order, all of these things. You begin to see this idea of surveillance and observation and. That's introduced that they didn't really ask if that was okay with us. And so they're creating this idea that the police is just a normal a normal thing in your life. And it's just normal day to day. Everything's great. And I think that's something that people were always like, "Uh, what if that happens? Kind of like 1984 type of stuff. So... These police officers were drinking on the job. These police officers were actually, like, part of these systems that were perpetuated by the people in power. And so just thinking about someone being drunk, wanting to go fight crime or prevent crime, to me that seems like an easy opportunity for someone who is looking for like stirring up shit, you know, like that just to me, uh, it just, it just sounds not good. And I understand that human behavior is flawed in nature, but it's just interesting to see the early origins of corruption and how it's been, I guess, at least a couple hundred years. And you would think that you would figure out maybe ways to prevent things from getting worse. But as we can see, so as capitalism's growing in America, businesses, companies, and now people were starting to form unions. And because the bigger that companies got, the more they were needing to be checked by their employees. Like they were like, we're not going to subject ourselves to these horrible conditions and horrible wages and just let you control our lives and use our labor for dirt cheap and free. And so unions started forming and it was legal, but then the businesses, you know, the people who are protected by the police were getting called to break apart these union strikes. And that's where they kind of started making the association between it being a criminal activity to question authority and here we can already see this theme kind of forming and so it's like you can't fight for your own rights to work or you're going to get in trouble do you see do you see where that could lead to just a big old, hmm, hmm. So you can see that the police were because if 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 they're supposed to be protecting their communities, then they need to be helping and fight with us because it's obvious that they're just protecting the those people, the big companies, and they were allowed to use force. And whatever was necessary to, you know, break these strikes apart. And when they weren't beating people, then they were writing like shit tickets, like public disorderliness or just weird stuff, creating laws for people to get in trouble. And that to me seems like a really interesting parallel that we have now because I think Tennessee just made it a thing where you can take away your right to vote for protesting. And I think that's covered in our first amendment to be able to have a freedom of speech. And we can we can take down the government if they're not doing their duty to protect us. So I feel like it was now that the people kind of started to be like, What the fuck? Like you're hurting these people because we're striking for our rights against these horrible conditions. And I don't think you guys need to be having guns and having all this deadly force. But these, these people in power, these elites, they were protected that way. And they were the ones who were making the rules you can tell there's just this ever-developing relationship, this intimacy between politicians and police. And they've essentially been bought and appointed since the 1900s. And I think it's important to remember what the, you know, citizenship at that point was still white males, so if white males are in political power and they are appointing white police leaders with these white police forces, I'll let you just let that information marinate. And since they were so closely intertwined, the police were providing services and assistance to these people in power. And they literally did whatever it took to keep these people in power happy. And hey, quit, quit messing with this shit. Like, you don't, you don't want to know it's going to happen. And I think it's important to remember all of the great things that police departments have done. And I don't, I don't, want this to discount anything that authentic, genuine, caring, loving, compassionate people have done for the police department. And I understand when you say not all cops are bad, but I think it brings into this the theme of accountability and how important it is to keep these systems accountable so that we don't perpetuate for hundreds of years an imbalance of sorts. So yes, the police department was doing community service things. They were sheltering homeless, community outreach. They would keep tabs on epidemics, things like that. So they definitely have a history too of providing things for the community. I think it's so important to recount the history of this organization because it's just important. If we can know the history, then we can know how better to move forward. So as people are getting tired of this shit, this tension, this imbalance. They wanted reform. And so they were creating organizations to make sure they were free of corruption. In, like, 1894, there was a Linux committee. They formed to investigate. And they found bribes, extortion. Like, literally, if you wanted a raise or a promotion... You had to pay like $15,000 for, it was some position, like lieutenant or I don't know. But like getting people to pay you to like be a higher rank in the police, like, yeah, the corruption is is in there. Yeah, they were out gambling. They were out, they were not having anyone keeping them accountable or checking the balances. And especially if they're working in cahoots with these big political bosses. So in order to ameliorate these relationships between the community and the police and to build trust, they started this idea of community policing. And it's interesting to consider because that has been one of the ideas for reform today. And so they figured hey, we'll just decentralize the police. We'll make relations better. Um, We'll get people on foot instead of cars. And maybe it will ease the tensions. And you would do what your community needed and you would build relationships with these people. And, I mean, you can even see there, like, It still became this idea of, okay, you're wealthy in this neighborhood. I'll protect you and make sure that my services are available to you. But when a person of color or minority needs help, they're going to have to wait in a long ass line. So there continues to be this separation between white citizens and non-white citizens, And you have to remember, too, that when there is a police force that's not representative of the non-white citizens, then they're lacking sensitivity to these experiences. They don't understand the minority cultures, which are different from white culture. And they're not able to create this idea of true and authentic support. And so I think it's kind of like, like a lost in translation uh, situation. And And that's really important if you really want to get this idea of reform going. Right around when the civil rights movement began in the 1960s, people were fed up and they were realizing that the law has failed them and it had been failing them and it's focused around the suppression of minorities and they were pissed. And so President Lyndon B Johnson formed this commission because they had started rioting. And he was like, well, we don't need to have this these riots. I want to hear you. I want to listen We need to figure out what's causing this so we can address it from whatever perspective. And they had done this report on the police departments and the situations. And I thought this quote was really cool from the commission. It says, what white Americans have never fully understood, but what a Negro can never forget is that white society is deeply implicated in the ghetto. White institutions created it, white institutions maintain it, and white society condones it. And so this report found that so many of these riots around the country started with the police inciting brutality and violence. And this is like in the 1960s. And after this commission had, fig- like had figured all this out, they wanted to create a balance for the police system and they were like we have to heal you know this double standard that is creating all of this tension and creating all of this unrest and I mean it's interesting because now I'm wondering like is that because he wants to keep the peace or is that because he truly genuinely cares about the minority experience At the hands of police. But anyways. I think it did end up helping. They. That was kind of a shift in. Hiring of the police departments. And. They started hiring. More BIPOC. They started reducing the amount of. Violent force that was used. When they were. Out patrolling. And it helped a little bit but you know things like inner city communities were able to see improved relationships with police but they still were not given the same tools and services as the white communities it's just interesting to think about how there has always been an underlying thing with racism and It's hard to understand how people are like, well, don't make it about race. You're making it about race. You're making it about race. And it's like, look at this system that has created this thing that's all about race. And I think it's wild that they've done empirical studies that show that even though community policing seems like it would in theory be better, it actually doesn't perform well in low-income and minority populations and it doesn't necessarily equate to less violence and less crime and what's really cool is one of the papers was saying that the community era requires an empowered cohesive community to be able to deal with a sensitive responsive police agency and I think that's really important to think about today when we think about police reform and thinking about how engaged we will need to be as a community in order to make everything work out. So really, I think what, yeah, all of this stuff started doing was making me think I guess I started questioning authority and I'm like, hmm, where, where where, do our morals come from? And who decides what this is? And we have to look at the people who made the laws and the people who enforced the laws. And as we've seen, that has been most often the wealthy, white, land-owning, property-owning males. And they were able to build this great illusion of what is good and what is bad and what is evil and what is good and what is true and what is not true. And it's interesting to think about how that's kind of pervasive in our own individualized perception of morality. And I feel like I have a lot of tendencies to judge myself and get upset with myself or almost try to instill this fear of like, don't do that, you're going to get in trouble or don't question authority. That's just how things are. And they've always been that way. So just don't ask any questions. And I think it also brings up the point of how that manifests in unhealthy ways, like when you don't learn to think for yourself. And we're here in this age right now where people have not been taught to critically think or been allowed to critically think for themselves. And so there's a bunch of people relying on other people to make decisions for them, or assuming that someone has your interest in mind, and they don't. And you've essentially given them control by allowing them to control your mind and your behavior. And I think it sucks that we have this thing in our society where we had this idea of fear around getting punished and people have to go out there worrying about whether they're going to get arrested or not. And instead of, hey, this is something that's really important to me and this is a dream that I have and I want to build this dream. And we've seen as of recently that these people in authority who were not supposed to question don't have anyone to check <laughs> check and make sure they're not doing stuff that's fucked up and there's no accountability and and we put all our trust in these people and now we're getting fucked our whole entire communities are getting fucked and I think that we can't just dismiss this stuff as politics because this is important and this is affecting all of us in different ways whether we want to look at it that way or not and I think if anything this is An opportunity for us to think for ourselves and think about what it means and do our own research and educate ourselves and form our own opinions rather than rely on someone else's. We need to be questioning this idea of other people controlling our lives. We weren't put on this earth to be controlled and we weren't put on this earth to be surveyed, surveyed, Under surveillance, (laughs) surveillance, surveillance. I just like forgot what that word was really quick. And especially, we weren't put on this earth to get murdered just because someone is trying to prevent crime and disorder. And I think that's something that we have to get really serious about. And this is a point when we have to come together and start talking about solutions because the longer we fight and the longer we let them control us, then it's just going to be too far gone. And I really think that's the beautiful thing about this whole movement and this whole entire year is everybody's waking up to how fucked up the system is and how they've so carefully and effectively veiled all of their efforts to control us and control minorities and put their lives in grave danger. And we're learning that people aren't held accountable and that our lives are affected by it. Our safety is affected by it. Our safety. And we have to start talking about it so we can come up with solutions that embrace and amplify this diversity, not abuse it or punish it. I think it also brings up a lot of dialogue around, well, if... This organization was created to protect wealthy white landowners, then does it have any relevance today? And I think it's just such a tricky question because policing has just become so intertwined with our daily lives where we feel like it's a necessity. And so I think it's just important to consider the history of the organization as an entity to kind of either move forward and recreating a mission statement or completely disbanding it or basically something something to add to how we're going to look for solutions to create a better future and yeah we just can't dismiss this as politics because this is about our communities and our lives and It's going to take all of us to figure out a solution that works for all of us, not just for some of us, not just for the wealthy of us, not just for the pretty of us, not just for anything, you know, trivial like that, for the betterment of every single citizen, no matter the color of their skin, no matter whether they're rich or poor, like we are all human lives with value. And I think if an establishment organization is going to represent people like that, then that needs to be in their in their focus. And I think we need to move towards creating that dialogue so that we can see what that looks like. So I'll step off that small soapbox just for a second. Um, but yeah, going back to self-policing and this idea of being hyper vigilant over ourselves and the regulation of our emotions and all of these things. And that's something to consider that came from this idea of good and evil and bad and punishment and rewards and all of these things. And so a lot of times in my life, I realize I go around judging myself. And am I going on someone else's definition of good? Am I going on my definition of good? Am I being too harsh on myself? And I know a lot of times that's yes. And I think this idea of trying to keep ourselves in this box and keep ourselves limited, it just goes back to that that quote from the beginning, like, the less you police yourself, the more you, you become, you, you're enabled to express yourself as an individual. And I've always grown up to think, you know, that you don't question authority and you need to be on your best behavior so you don't get in trouble. And it's just interesting because it's like, just hit me. Like, why do we need to worry about if we're being good or not? Because that's not what we were put on this earth to do. Like God didn't put us here to like, oh, you better be good. You better follow all these rules. Who's fucking making the rules? Because I don't think it's God. God's rules were to love yourself and love everybody else. So how it got misconstrued is I'm not sure. Anyways, it's all It's all under the guise of our benefit, but it's people controlling our lives when we do not think for ourselves. And so I encourage you to start thinking for yourself and start doing your own research and start educating yourself. And if you weren't raised in an environment where that was allowed or you were given that liberty because that is a thing, then this is me telling you that you have permission to have your own thoughts. And you have permission to have your own beliefs and that you're still valid and worthy as a human, even though you have your own opinions. And I think it's important to just empower ourselves with this idea that we have to think for ourselves. We're the only person out here looking for our best interests. And so it's up to us for ourselves to think critically And think about what's good for me so that we can think about what's good for everybody. I don't think it's necessary that we live our lives based on someone else's rules. And so, yeah, I think that's about all that I wanted to talk about. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, again, I'm going to put those articles in the description. They're really good if you have a chance to read them. But yeah. So uh, just a reminder, my Patreon's coming out in 12 days. And well, I guess from Monday, it's going to be like 11. Anyways, it's getting close. It's coming out on September 2nd. And if you want access to more podcasts guided meditations, affirmations. I'm gonna do a weekly email if you want access to all these things. And I'm gonna do a 30-minute personalized Zoom call. Look out for these membership tiers. And it's at patreon.com slash embrace the madness. It becomes live on September 2nd. So you'll have to wait. Um, but just keep that email address in your brain and I'm really excited but have a great rest of your day and Allow yourself to think freely and ask questions, and it's okay to question authority. Just think for yourself, and remember, you're the only you. You, (laughs) of course, I mess it up. You are the only you you've got, so you got to take care of you. Bye. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for tuning in this week on Embrace the Madness. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Follow me on Instagram at Embrace the Madness podcast for updates and more.